spirit of the Lord in this place. And you know the wonderful thing about the spirit of the Lord, the Bible has promised that wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God gave me a special word for you today while we're talking about our no offense sermon. Everybody say no offense. No offense. Sermon one, we talked about eyes wide shut and how we can walk in victory when we've been offended and how not to let the offenses of the world drive us into bitterness. And today, God has a word for us today. Uh, if you'll stand for the reading of the word of our Lord, stand if you can. Intercessors, pray while I preach. This is a heavy sermon for a heavy heart, and God knows what he's doing, but I want you to pray for me while I preach. Uh, Psalms chapter 55, verses 1 through 23. A lot of reading, but we need to hear all of this today. The Lord says this is where people are right now. There are many people that are in this place, and they need this today. Psalms 55, starting in verse 1 through 23. Tech team, I'm probably going to skip uh, starting at verse 8 and go to verse 12. And I'm going to do a couple of skips. I'll let you know where they are, okay? All right, here we go. God, speak your servants. Listen in Jesus' name. Psalms chapter 55, starting at verse 1. What does it say? Read it with me. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide your face from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. (laughs) For they bring down trouble upon me and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has so overwhelmed me. (laughs) So I said that had I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. (laughs) Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. We're going to keep reading. Go on to verse 9. Go on to verse 9. We're just going to read it all the way through. Y'all mind reading a little word today? Let's read it. What does he say? He says, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, oh Jesus. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throne. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. He's been real today. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them even he who abides from old. Salah. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be removed. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. (laughs) I want to read this one more time because this is what we're going to hang at the hat of the text. Verse 12 says this, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then 
I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. From this scripture and other related scriptures, pull up the slide for today. I want to talk to you about this, this topic, backstabbers. You may be seated in the presence of God. Hallelujah. I believe I will. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> when I was young, they used to have this radio station called Kixie 107. And they, it was an R&B station, but I was young, and my parents liked to listen to the old school oldies. And I remember one time, Brother Rodney, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a group, and they used to sing a song. And Brother Dave, you may remember these lyrics. They say, they smile in your face. <laughs> All the time, Brother Ernie know it too, all the time trying to take your place. Backstabbers. <laughs> backstabbers. Has anybody ever had anybody that was a backstabber? <laughs> Has anybody had somebody that you knew were close to you, that you gave them your deepest, darkest secrets, and they turned against you? Has anybody ever suffered a Brutus? Who is Brutus? Some of you may not know who Brutus is. Some of us slept, slept in literature class, but if you studied your history class, on March 15th, uh, there was a person on what we call the Ides of March. He was one of the most powerful rulers that ever lived. His name was Julius Caesar. <laughs> Julius Caesar had, had grow, risen to power and taken over the Republic of Rome and he had declared himself an emperor in the city and he had taken power away from his political opponents, the Senate. And the Senate had decided that they could not let Caesar live because Caesar had become too powerful and he had taken their power. And so, as normal, Caesar went to the Senate, and they lured Caesar in. And when he walked in unarmed, out came senators with knives all around, and they began to stab him, and they began to murder him. And as Caesar died, Caesar looked around, and you would think he would be upset about all the people in the Senate who had betrayed him, but he expected the Senate to betray him. That was what people did. But Shakespeare coins a term of Caesar. Jesus' last not words because he looks up and there is somebody in the crowd. There is somebody there who is a young man that Caesar has raised who is either Caesar's son outside of marriage or is either Caesar's son, uh, the son of one of Caesar's lovers. And his name is Brutus. And Brutus is a part of the Senate. And what kills Caesar, I believe, is not the stabs, but when he looks up the last words that he gives out in Latin or et tu. Brute. What does that mean? He says, and you, Brutus. <laughs> I would have expected this from somebody else. I would have expected somebody else to turn on me. But you who I raised from a boy, you who I brought to prominence, I see a knife filled with blood, and it's in your hand. It's one thing to be attacked from somebody who's on the outside, but what do you do when your enemy is behind the line and not in front of it? What do you do when you've been betrayed by those people that you love? The writer of this psalm is not talking about Julius Caesar, but to a very similar topic. The writer of this psalm is King David. And King David, the reason he is writing this is because David is in a precarious position right now because David is on the run for his own life, theologians believe. <coughs> Why is David on the run for his own life? This is the perfect thing to preach for being offended for David's family is very dysfunctional. And if you look at the book of Second Samuel, chapter 12, you will find out that David had several sons by many different wives. And he had several daughters by many different wives. And one of his daughter's names was Tamar. And Tamar was a beautiful woman. Mark, can you put 35 minutes on the clock for me? I forgot that. Mark, Tamar was a beautiful woman. And, and she captured the eye of one of her half-brothers by the name of Amnon. 
<laughs> and Amnon puts together a scheme to pull her into his room. He says, Father, I'm sick, and I want you to send Tamar in the room with me so that she can feed me from her own hand. And after she brings and cooks the food, he lets her know that it is not the food that he wants. He overpowers her, and he rapes Tamar. And after he rapes Tamar, you would think as an upset father that David would come in and the Bible said that David was angry and David was offended. But David does absolutely nothing. Here it is. His son has raped his daughter and he does nothing about it. But Tamar has another brother by the name of Absalom. And Absalom is looking at what his brother has done to his sister. See, they're half-brothers and sisters. Not really such a thing. But he and Tamar share a mother together. They are very close. And he begins to be bitter in his heart. Remember, I told you, if you don't deal with offense, offense will start to become a prison. And for years, he's sitting inside looking at this same brother, walking around with all the rights and privileges of a prince, knowing that he raped his sister and he is upset because his father doesn't give him justice and he is offended and because he is offended two years later he goes to his father and Absalom says father I want to go out and I want you to come with me he says I'm not going to be able to come with you he said well will you do me a favor he says yes will you at least send Amnon with me so we can all go and we can all party there's been a couple of years that have passed and when the years pass inside of David's house that Amnon goes with them to Absalom sets up his friends to say fill him up with plenty of wine and when he is good and drunk kill him because David didn't deal with the offenses in his house you 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 hear your children saying stuff and you act like you don't see it because you want to stay out of it you better start start intervening in some things you better start praying about some things and, and they murder Amnon and after they murder him the rest of David's children they run they run away and they run back to David and here it is that now Absalom is out and he is a fugitive he runs to his father who is a king in a nearby territory and now he is banished and not only only has he lost his the, the purity of his sister not only has he been offended because his father overlooked an injustice but he is also offended now because he's been banished because he took justice into his own hands and even after he takes justice into his own hands and he comes back they they ask him can he come back they ask David can can he come back can Absalom come back home David says he can come home but he can never see my face so he is denied justice he is denied his father because he acted wrongly in offense but he acted wrongly because the father did not deal with offense and after a while David begins to be a little softer and people around him let Absalom go back into his circle but here's the thing when somebody is offended and they do not let it go it's going to rise them to greater and worser things. And Absalom, as he comes back into David's graces, he hasn't forgot what David negated to do. Remember, I told you, when you don't deal with offense, you build up walls around you to keep people out. But the problem is, it's a prison keeping you in. And it is leading Absalom down a road that he should not go. For Absalom, the Bible said that he is, he's, a, he's a pretty man. Is <laughs> the best way to say it. That Absalom was the fairest of all David's children. And that his hair was so heavy and flowing that, it, that, that when he cut it off, it had a certain weight to it. He was a beautiful man. And Absalom had had children and he named one of his daughters Tamar in honor of his sister that had been raped. But Absalom never let go of that offense. And how many of you know when you don't let go of offense, it will drive you to do things that you never thought you were capable of. It will drive you to say things that you never thought you would say. It will drive you to do things that you would never thought that you would do. Here's the thing. We don't give forgiveness because we think forgiveness is for other people, but forgiveness is really for us. 
Forgiveness releases us from the burden to have to respond to wrongs, but Absalom is not through because Absalom has watched his father's judgment and has no respect for his father's judgment. Most times when people talk about Absalom, they just talk about Absalom as he's just a criminal. But at the end of the day, you have to realize this is the boy who watched his sister rape and his father do absolutely nothing. And when he did something about it, he got banished. So he doesn't trust his father's judgment. And you can tell it when he starts to talk to other people. For the Bible says that Absalom starts to go to people who have complaints. And he says that if I were the king, I would do it like this. And he gives him a kiss when he greets him. What is he saying? I don't trust my father's judgment. I could do it better than he can. And if you don't understand the backstory, you look at Absalom as just some haughty, arrogant person, but you don't realize where Absalom came from. Offense was not properly dealt with, and it created a monster. And I've come to tell you that if Absalom was a monster, then David was Dr. Frankenstein. It was somebody that he had created. I don't see why my child is just so angry because you were too busy at work to go to their games. You were too busy at work to deal with what they were going through. And now they're vicious and they're angry and they're upset with you. You were always too busy to see what was on their mind. And now they're angry and they're upset and they're at risk. Why? Because you built a monster. David is about to face one of the worst things in his life because Absalom is determined to get rid of David and Absalom builds an army <laughs> and he builds an army and he pulls it together and they say Absalom has an army and he's coming to get you, David. And David says, if I stay here, all the innocent people of Jerusalem will die. So David hops on his, his transportation with his people and he leaves the city. Because his son is coming to kill him. His son is coming to end his father's life. And to add insult to injury, David had not yet, yet led a perfect life. <laughs> I remind you that David is the same person who was sitting on a rooftop watching a woman bathe by the name <laughs> by the name of Bathsheba and he took Bathsheba and impregnated her and killed her husband Uriah sent him to battle and when the prophet went the prophet said this he said because of what you have done other men will lay with your wives David little did he know who it would be for the Bible says that David didn't take everybody. He left 10 of his wives back. He left 10 of his concubines back in Jerusalem when he left to take care of the place. And when Absalom gets back to Jerusalem, what does he do? He pitches a tent on the roof so everybody can see. And takes every last one of David's wives in one by one and sleeps with them in public. To embarrass his father. Why is he so enraged? Because he didn't deal with the anger on the inside. Because David didn't handle the offense when he should have handled it. When you think you're going to pass over and your wife's telling you something's a problem and you just say it's not a problem because it's not a problem to me, it's going to come back up. If your husband is telling you something is a problem and you ignore it because it's not a problem to you, all it's going to do is fester. And we read last week, see that no root of bitterness sets up in, in, in you. Adultery never starts at adultery. Adultery starts at overlooked needs. When you start ignoring your spouse. Stop saying certain things to your spouse. You do what you want to do, and you give them what you think they should have, and the enemy comes in and gives them what they want. And they risk it all because you didn't deal with things in your own house. Mm. David has not dealt with things in his house and now his son is sleeping openly with his wives on the rooftop to make sure he has the highest vantage point so everyone can see <laughs> but that's not the bad part 
Because I'm sure deep down in the recesses of his mind, David said, I created this monster. And even then, when they wanted to kill Absalom, and eventually they did, they, David would not have him killed. They had to sneak off and kill him. See, he was so pretty and so much of a pretty man and had so much long flowing hair, he forgot that if you run underneath a tree, you probably should tie your hair up. His hair was so long and flowing that it got caught in a branch and he got hung up by his hair. And one of David's mighty men found him and ran him through with a spear. And David was sad. You would think that he would be mad. David was a very forgiving person, but no doubt David remembered he's like this because of me. This is a monster I created. Well, Pastor, you said that this psalm is about that. It is, because what he says is this. What I have not told you about this story is that Absalom doesn't go alone. Absalom doesn't have the skill to carry out this plot. But David has a counselor named Ahithiel. <laughs> and Ahithiel knows what's going on in David's house. And he goes with Absalom. And he helps Absalom to plot against David. So as David is running for his life, that's why David is saying here, for it is an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted itself against me, or even parenthetically, if it was my son who I screwed up, but it was you, my equal, <coughs> my companion. And my acquaintance, he says, we took sweet counsel together. I told you my deepest, darkest secrets. No doubt he told David his regret. He told Ahithiel his regrets about what he had not done for Absalom and what he had not done to, to avenge Tamar. And Ahithiel probably went right over to Absalom and used those things to garner power for him. And now here it is, David is running for his life, and he's not betrayed by the son he did wrong. He, he's in the mix. It's really him sparking it, but the, the salt in the wound is it's his best friend. Mm. What do you do when you've been done in by a friend? How do you respond when the person who hurts you is the person that's closest to you? See, there's a reason. They don't call it stabbing it in the front. Come here, Brother Dave. <laughs> because I can't stab you in the back unless you trust me enough to turn your back to me. You betray me, Judas, with a kiss? You that close to me? And I know you're supposed to do it, but maybe part of me really wishes that there was something deep down in you that wouldn't walk with me for three years and watch me walk on the water and feed homeless people and, and, and heal sick and raise the dead and give sight to blind. Maybe the human part of me, the God part of me knew you would do it, but maybe the human part of me just thought maybe you wouldn't take the king of the universe, the person who put, picked you from obscurity and made you my disciple to come and betray me and not with a punch, not with a push, not with the DDT, you betrayed me with a kiss. For many of us, if we be honest, we stuffed it in the recesses of our mind, but we have been betrayed and we have not forgiven. And when we haven't, deep down in our heart, it has made us cynical and it has made us bitter. Some of us, our marriages aren't as good as they need to be because of a girlfriend or boyfriend that did something to you and you've locked that part of your heart off from somebody else. You used to be Mr. Romantic until she stepped on your heart. Now you give the bare minimum. You used to be misloving and misempathetic until he took your kindness for weakness and now you just give him half of what you you used to be the best employee in the world until you had a bad boss that took advantage of you. Now you only give the bare minimum. You used to be here when the church door opened and when the church door closed until you were at a church where some people did you wrong. And now you come in and you say, if I'm here, they better be glad I'm here. That's all they're getting out of me. And you're missing the blessings of what life could be if you led a life that wasn't full of hurt and pain and anguish. Because when you don't work in your local church, it doesn't hurt your church, it hurts you. 
because God will send who he will. But there's a gift he's placed on the inside of you and you're not utilizing it because of hurt. When you don't give your spouse everything that you that, that's in your heart that's beautiful, it hurts, doesn't hurt them completely. It hurts you because you reap what you sow. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. David is so depressed by what this man has done to him, how he's turned his own family against him, how he's taken secret information and told everybody. David says this in verse 6. He says, so I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Because doves hang out in obscure places. I would go somewhere where nobody would be able to find me. Have you ever been like that? If I could just cut off and, and, and delete all my social media posts and change my phone number and move to a city where nobody knows my name. If I could just get away from everything and everybody, I would. If I could just find a place to hide, to hide away from the pain. But the problem is the pain is not in that stuff. The pain is in you. And when you don't deal with it, you are you wherever you go. So you just end up a hurting person in a different place. I'm leaving the church because they hurt me. You just going to be a hurting person in a different church. How many of us are being robbed of the richness and the fullness of the life we can live because we are trapped in a prison of pain? How many of us could really be honest and say, some people have done me wrong, and if I be honest, I haven't really let it go, and I really need to be free. How do you know you're not over it? If you keep talking about it, you're not. If you keep bringing it up every time you get a chance, you are not over it. Hallelujah. So I'm going to give you some tools today so you can be free. Anybody want to be free today? The first one is this. Everybody write this down. Realize who they are. See, the reason they shocked you is because you thought they were somebody that they were not. Guys, pull up Psalms 55 and 21. 55 and 21. Psalms 55 and 21. I'll read it while they're finding it. It says this. They got it up. You can read it with me. What does it say? The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. He told me he loved me and he stayed with me forever. I can't believe I got pregnant and he left me. She told me she loved me. And that she would never leave me until I found her with my best friend. They told me I was the best employee in the world. <laughs> until I came in and they said, we're making cutbacks and they don't need me anymore. And I felt betrayed. I felt worthless. I felt like I was a victim. Anybody ever felt like that before? One of the first steps to healing is to come to terms with who you are dealing with. It's hard to deal with it because you can't see people for who they are. But Maya Angelou had a very famous phrase. She says, when people show you who they are, believe them. See, the problem is when you're close to someone, it's hard to see certain things. And we can easily stay in denial and shock because we can't come to terms with who we are really dealing with. Because they are so close to us. They are related to us. They are friends with us. They are co-workers with us. I know you were best friends. I know you thought they would never do you bad. But you had not seen them in every environment and environments exposed. <coughs> A house looks like it has a good paint job till the rain shows up. And when you change the season, the season will expose things. Oh, Jesus. See, you saw who they were in winter, and you didn't see who they were in spring. 
That's why before you hop in to marry people or hop in to build so much of a covenant with people, you need to see them in all phases of their life. The problem is, y'all got together when you were broke. Y'all were best buddies when y'all were both broke, but then you went back to school and got a degree. And they say they're your friend, but secretly they hate you because you remind them about what they could have achieved. When y'all were both, both single ladies and walking out, you had a great time. Y'all tore the town up, but now you got a man and she always looking side eye at you. Always finding something wrong with him. Flirting with him behind your back. Why? Because the season has changed. It changed for you. It did not change for them. And I hate to tell you that most people do not want to see you happy. That's a tough pill to swallow, but it's the truth. They saw you when you were broke. They didn't see you when God elevated you. They, you saw them at a level where they were comfortable with you. I'll never forget the, uh, a bit of godly wisdom from one of my preacher friends that he got from his pastor, uh, uh, Dr. Cameron. And he said, Willie, let me tell you something about life. He says, I see you going up in life, and you're, you're a real smart young man, and you, I, I can see God doing some good things for you. Just remember this. Some people can take you here. Some people can take you here. A few of them will tolerate you here. Most of them don't like you here, but nobody wants you here. Am I trying to make you cynical? No, I'm trying to make you wise so we won't end up being naive and get hurt by people who we think love us. They don't love you. They're in like with you. And if you don't believe me, change. Start losing weight. Start going back to school. Start getting a better job. Stop cussing and coming to church every Sunday. Start doing things that God wants you to do and being godly. Start being a giver of your time. Start being a giver of your time. Start being a giver of your talent and watch people change on you. And you say, I can't believe they changed up on me. They didn't change up on you. You changed up on them and they're mad because you changed. I'll never forget looking at a caterpillar and a butterfly sitting across from one another on a cartoon and they were having and the tea and the caterpillar looked at the butterfly and said, you know what? You changed. And the butterfly said, we're supposed to. <laughs> you think you're too good to hang around me? No. I think I'm not going to act like I'm in the 12th grade no more. <laughs> I'm not going to be having 12th grade arguments on Facebook. I'm not going to be walking around and, and putting my hands on people and fighting people like I'm in kindergarten no more. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be out here acting a fool and playing games on the phone when I'm 50 and I'm, I'm really like I'm 15. I'm through with that. And when they see that, guess what's coming? Hallelujah. Come here, Judas. Jesus does something. I want you to know this. They saw, you saw them in a level where they were comfortable with you. Now God is allowing them just enough space so they can expose themselves. He allowed them to betray you. So you could see who they were. He knows it's painful. Touch your neighbor and say it's painful, but it's necessary. Come here, Judas. Jesus looks at Judas and he says this, what thou doest, doest quickly. He, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He knew it was painful to be betrayed by a friend, but it was necessary. And here's what you need to know that your enemies don't. They think they are setting you up for the cross, but they don't know they're really propelling you to the crown. Because once Jesus went to the cross, he went to the crown. You ought to thank God for Judas. <laughs> you ought to thank God for those who showed you who they really were. I'm thankful that you showed me who I was, who you were when I was broke so I wouldn't have you around when I had money. I thank you that you showed me who you were when I was here so I don't have you in my life to wreck it when I'm here. Amen. Amen. Thank you for cheating on me. Thank you for lying on me. Thank you for taking the daggers out. I went through a little bit. I had to go to the cross but no cross no crown. They don't realize that they are propelling you to greatness. Because here's the thing. Some folk, if they knew how you would be after you came off of that cross, they would leave you alone. 
See, Absalom and Ahithiel, what you don't realize, not only did Absalom die, but before Absalom died, Ahithiel comes in to give some advice to, to Absalom. And, and David has sent one of his advisors back to be an inside spy, and they take his advice, and Ahithiel ends up going home killing himself. So both of the people who set up to conspire against David end up dead, and David ends up sitting right back on the throne that he was destined to sit on. And here's the thing. It wasn't just that throne. There wasn't just the prophecy that somebody would lay with his wife, but there was another prophecy to David that said, a king shall sit from your house on the throne forever. And not only did David sit back on his throne, but David had a descendant by the name of Jesus, and he shall sit on the throne forever. Ever and ever. You might think you're down right now. You might think you're on the cross right now, but I've come to let you know, bear your pain because God had you headed for your crown. Hmm. When I was young, I heard a preacher say this. He was preaching and I was little. I didn't know what he, he, he was preaching. But it, I, I, I like lyrics and poetry and I remember what he said. And you know what he said, Rodney? He said, when you dig one ditch, you better dig two. Because the first trap you set just might be for you. You wasting your time trying to get back at your enemies. Because this is what he says. He says that the Lord would take care of them. Number one, I'm not going to stay too long. Number one is realize who they are. B is, everybody said, rely on consistent prayer. This is how David made it through. Psalm 55, 16 through 17. We've already read these, so I'm going to read them. If they pull them up, you can come with me. It says, as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me evening and morning and at noon. I will pray and cry aloud, and she, he shall hear my voice. Some of us, until somebody break our heart, we don't know what prayer is. <laughs> but consistent prayer. Sometimes God allows things in our life to keep us on our knees. He allows them to break us down to our knees. So when we get down there, we realize there was something else. What, what else did I used to do when I was on my knees? I'm on my knees in pain. Oh, maybe I need to pray. Everybody say this with me. A prayer life, prayer life. will save my life. Save my life. <laughs> Somebody should shout right there. A prayer life. <laughs> See, prayer, we think we're praying to God to change the situation, but prayer doesn't change things. I know they told you that prayer changes people, Amen. and people change. Prayer life will not only reveal who other people are to you, but who you are to others. Hallelujah. You know, it's a, you, once you've shown me who I am, who they are, show me who I am. Why? Because birds of a feather flock together, and I want you to show me what's in me that's attracting those type of people to my life. Pastor, I can't, every man I deal with is a bomb. He's either a dope dealer, or he's crazy, or he's a thug, and he's a little child. Why? And it seems like that's the only person I get. Well, what's in you that's attracting them? Rats are attracted to cheese. Change from cheese to steak. And maybe you'll get a lion. Lord, show me what's in me that's attracting these type of people to my life. Is it the way I talk? Is it the way I walk? Is it the way I act? Is it the places I frequent? Is it the appetites I have? If it is, Lord, change my appetites and put me in a different atmosphere so I'll be around the people that I need to get where I need to get. Don't leave me where I am. You didn't think I was going to preach without talking about consecration and sanctification, did you? Hey, it's not just about what everybody does to you. Sometimes you got to let God do an inside work. Somebody say it's an inside job. <laughs> you got to let God work on you. And when God works on you and you start seeing what's right, you can see better what's wrong. You can see and say, oh, he ain't no good. But he got a church suit on, he ain't no good. <laughs> but she got a nice smile, she ain't no good. How do you know that? Because 
I used to be that type of person to attract that type of person. And I learned who I was and learned how those people were attracted to that. And I've been around long enough to know it. People say, how are you so good at counseling? Why? Because people don't change. There's nothing new under the sun. People keep going through the same things, same personality types, making the same decisions thousands of years later. After a while, after you've done it for 20 years, it, they may have a different name, but you've seen them be. And you see them better when you start looking at your. Who Jesus? I'm almost done. Is this helping anybody? Amen. There's something to be said about the healing power of a consistent prayer life. Prayer changes a person. If you're in a place where you're hurt and you're in pain, he didn't say, I just pray every now and then. I come to the altar and cry and they lay my hands on my head. But he said every day, morning, noon and night, I'm before you praying, God. In this season in 2024, I told you it was the expectation. It's also for consecration. God is calling the church back to holiness. God is calling the church back to disciplines that we've gotten lax in, like fasting and prayer. Amen. Something will only come by fasting and prayer. God's calling you back there to unlock some things that are in your life. Here's C, number one. You have to, we're going to go through it again. Everybody say, realize who they are. <laughs> this is B. B says, rely on consistent prayer. And here, C, everybody said, release retribution to God. Let's say that again because we didn't like that one. We, 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 we like to be our own judge, jury, and execution. Let's say that again. Let's say it, say it together. Release retribution to God. We said everything loud until we got to that one. Release retribution to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to get them myself. Psalms 55, verse 23, as we close, it says this. 55 and 23. But you, God shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I trust in you. It's not your job to get back at them. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you gloat when the Lord, gets, when the Lord judges your enemy, he'll turn his hand from him. God wants you to release it and say, Lord, I can't, I can't control that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that up to you. I can't do anything about what they did to me, but I'm going to start praying good for them. Because I'm going to tell you something. People don't, a creature's a habit. If oftentimes, they don't change very often, very fast, unless the Holy Ghost it's working in their life unless there's some outside external force. Don't you think that if they did it to you, they're going to do it to somebody else? Yeah. Let somebody else be the person to catch the case. Don't you do it. Don't take vengeance into your own hand. All of us are thieves in this building. Do you know that? Every last one of us is a thief. Pastor, I don't agree with that. I'm not a thief. Yes, you are. And if you said no, nah, you're a liar too. <laughs> you know why? Because a thief takes something that does not belong to them. And I could have swore the Lord said, vengeance is mine. Oh, Jesus. Hmm. Did he not say that, that vengeance is mine? So if you're taking vengeance, you ain't just stealing, you're stealing from God. Hmm. One thing to steal from me. Every time we talk about stealing from God, we talk about tithes and offerings and, and not giving. That's stealing too, but at the same time, you are really stealing. Vengeance is here. Uh, they, they didn't pull this up. Proverbs 24, 17 through 18. I know this is the curveball, but guys, pull it up. Proverbs 24, 17. You're stealing from God. It's his vengeance. He'll repay because when you retaliate, you're going to end up destroying yourself, trying to destroy somebody else. There's nobody on the earth whose arms are long enough to box with God. 
And if we have the heart of Christ, we're supposed to love our enemies and want to see them in heaven. So uh, this is your homework today. Find that person that hurt, that hurt you. I'm going to tell you in a second because you ain't going to want to do it. Hold on one second. <laughs> what does verse 17 say? you probably never seen this scripture before. That's why I want you to show it to you because now you're accountable for it. You can't get away from it. I want us all, I want us all to read it. What does it say? <laughs> do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Verse 18, why is that? Pull up verse 18. Lest the Lord see it and it displeased him, and he turned away his wrath from him. See, I'm a child of God. The Lord going to get you. <laughs> How many of us ever done that? we now done that. And every, every, every juvenile Christian does that. When we, oh, Lord, the Lord going to get you. I'm a child of God. They may be a child of God, too. They just may be a, a carnal child of God that hurts you, and God's not going to kill his kids. They got to reap with what they sow. I want you to do something. This is going to be tough. If you're online, I want you to do this too. I want you to close your eyes. And I want to think you to think about somebody who's hurt you really deeply, who's lied on you, who's betrayed you, who's cheated on you, whatever the case may be, caused you a lot of pain in your life. I'm waiting for everybody. Some people still looking at cell phones and other things. Every, every eye closed in this instance. Bow your head, I see you. If you don't want to do it, that means you need to do it the most. Now, I want you to envision those people that have done that to you. And I want you to repeat after me, I forgive you. And I want you to go to heaven. Oh, Jesus. Now, this time, without me saying it, I want you to say it. And we're going to say it together and say it on your own without being forced to coax. Let's go. I forgive you, and I want you to go to heaven. When I was betrayed to the point I thought I was going to lose my mind, and I got to the point where I was angry and in danger of destroying my life and other people, I got on my knees with tears in my eyes and said, I brought it on myself. I should have known who I was dealing with. I forgive you, and I want to go to heaven. And I did not mean it the first time I said it. It took me a week and a half before I finally got Somebody said, oh, a week and a half? Yeah, sometimes people can stab you and you're human. And I kept doing it with tears in my eye until I really meant it. I forgive you, and I want you to go to heaven. And I stop saying, get them, Lord. And I start saying, bless them, Lord. Bless them to where they won't do this to anybody else. Bless them to where their soul will get into heaven and they won't have to face the pain. Because when I hate my enemy enough to send my enemy to hell, something is wrong with me. If you're thinking now secretly, I'm saying it, but I don't mean it. There's something in your heart that needs to change because this is the dangerous part. This is what the Lord wants you to hear. Jesus said, if you do not forgive your brother, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. You can't get what you won't give. How you think you're going to get to heaven? Want somebody else to go to hell. wants to free you today. He doesn't want you to leave here bitter and angry. You can't do nothing about what they did to you, but you can stop walking in it and being hurt and miserable. You can be free today. Don't walk back out this door bound. You did not show up here on accident. You showed up here today because God had a word just for each one of you. Me included. Anybody be honest? I raise my hand. Who's God spoken to this morning? He wants to heal you this morning. You're his child. He doesn't want to see his child wrapped up in unforgiveness and bitterness and all the things that come with it. That if a root of bitterness sets up inside of you, baby, it's going to destroy you. You can't, you can't enjoy your relationships. You can't enjoy life to the fullest. <laughs> oh, you're not going to make me cough today. I'm not even sick. Why? Because I'm going to say this. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. That's the enemy doing that. 
If it's fear, it's not God, it's the enemy. If it's anger and unforgiveness, it's not God, it's the enemy. And he's trying to let you use your natural propensities of being a human to rob you. But this is what God said. Jesus said, but I come. Somebody said, I come. That you might have life and have it more abundantly to the full till it overflow. God wants you free today. You're not walking back out here bitter. You're not walking back out here angry. You're not walking back here holding on to the past. I want you walking out of here holding on to God's unchanging hand. Somebody give God a praise. In this place. Hallelujah. If you raise your hand, today is for you. I have several sermons in this series that I could have preached, but a few weeks ago, God put this one on my heart, and this was ordained before anything has happened to you has happened. You know what that means? He knew you were showing up today. He knew that's what you needed to hear. Not just you. He know it needs me because when I began to read it, it began to read my mail. God wants you to be free. Prayer team, if y'all can come up, Brother Davis, you can come up as I go down today. You're free. Don't leave here bound. Don't use all the effort to put your clothes on. Come looking nice. You can leave, you can leave, the, you can leave the stream up for a while. Looking nice. Looking good, smelling nice. Get all the way to church. Come in, make your way through the door. <laughs> Sit through the sermon and the singing and leave just like you came. Don't waste your eternal time. Lord Jesus, I need to say that again. I don't know why you had me say it that way. Never said it that way before, but don't waste your eternal time. As our prayer team stands, if y'all stand facing the crowd, if you need prayer, you can come get prayer today as Brother Dave comes down. If you're online, you usually don't put the altar service on, on this part. If you're online and you need something, I want you to know you're not listening by accident, but by intent and by design. God purposed you to be listening to this today or tomorrow, whenever you're listening to it. He wants you to be free. Some people are already at this altar, but some of people in this room and in other places need to be. If you're in your room, in your living room, make an altar out of your living room. Get at your knees on your couch or wherever you need to be. If you're driving, keep driving. But when you get a chance, stop and get at the altar. Altars change lives. If you want your life to be altered, come to the altar. Oh, Jesus. He's ready to heal you. Lord, I pray a blessing as Brother Dave comes for freedom. And I pray that healing and release will take place and that lives will be altered at this altar and other altars. That you be glorified and that your word will permeate through our hearts and give us liberty and freedom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can stop the stream, guys.